0: It's time for another episode of Star Wars All In, the show that goes all in to the characters, places, things, and concepts from that galaxy far, far away. I'm one of your hosts, I'm Mac, and I'm joined by my fellow Nubian chronicler, Ross. Mac, it's great to be here today.
1: We are talking all about episode one because we are celebrating the brand new novel by E.K. Johnson that just came out yesterday as of the time this episode is. Yes. If you're
0: listening to the day it releases. Yes. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Yesterday uh, on June 2nd, 2020, the novel Queen's Peril was published, written by E.K. Johnson, published by Disney Publishing. Uh, First off, I just want to say thank you for letting us have a copy of that novel early. I was Mm -hmm. able to read it uh, and that's why today we are doing a celebration of episode one. So we are gonna do three episode one topics. We are gonna start out with Sabe, so Mm -hmm. the head handmaiden to Queen Amidala and an important uh, budding character in the world of Star Wars and in the Galactic Civil War and in the Rebellion. And, in many, uh, the the we're, we're and in many ways, the main character of the Wh- book we're talking about. And in many ways, the main character of the book we're talking about. Yes.
0: We're talking about events in a book that just published. So if you <gasps> don't want to be spoiled. What does that mean? Spoilers. Oh, yeah. yeah. We're not going to dig into the details probably. Well, I don't know yet. But like the point of the <laughs> matter is, if you want to read that book clean and unfettered,
1: yeah. Do that first. Uh, We will try our best to keep away from some of the major twists and plot points, but there will be a lot of spoilers for the character interactions, no doubt about it. Uh, so keep that in mind. Second, we're going to head over and talk about the other species on Naboo, the Gungans. Yeah, we're going to go underwater and everybody's check out that. favorite Gungans. We're go- there's going to be Tarple. There's going to be Boss Nass. There's going to be Leone. There's going to be Peppa Bow. There's going to be all the Gungans. We're going to talk about them, all the ones you know
0: and love. Uh, so it's going to be super exciting. And uh, then we're going to hop up and out of the atmosphere and talk about the N-1 Starfighter. Oh, yes, we
1: are. My literal favorite starship in all of Star Wars. It's a good pick. It is going to be a ton of fun. Uh, And what's great is I basically know nothing about it from a technical standpoint. So (laughs) Mac will get to explain all that to me. And it's going to be a ton of fun. All right.
0: Well, we're going to get started right after this.
1: Okay, if you're listening to this segment, you heard our introduction just a moment ago. That means you heard us say we will be giving you spoilers for the new novel, Queen's Peril, that just came out yesterday. If you're listening to this on the day it was released, it came out on June 2nd, 2020. It is a novel by E.K. Johnson, and it is the reason why we're celebrating episode one this week with an mm-hmm. entire episode one themed episode. So, If for whatever reason you missed the intro, there's all that great info again. Spoilers for a brand new novel that just came out yesterday.
0: We just don't want you to spoil yourself. We're not going to be like trying to unpack that entire story, but we're going to touch on it because that's the topics we chose.
1: Yeah, we are not reviewing the novel today. We are not, uh, well, actually, I will give you a little review at the end of the episode. But we are not not, uh, revealing spoilers for the entire episode, but for the character of Sabe, who you could argue is the main character of this novel. You know, so just as a heads up. And
0: that's who we're talking about, right? Yeah, we are talking about
1: Sabe. Sabe? uh,
0: Sabe. Sabe. It's like Padme,
1: but with an S-A-B.
0: Yeah, but isn't S-A-B-E, but like an accented E? Yes. So it's like the same E they have in the middle of Pokemon? Yes, but you'll say it. Just like Padme. It's just like like that
1: E. Yes, but you'll you'll pronounce all of the handmaidens like you, like imagine if it was just, you know, placing replacing, replacing Padmé. Okay. Like so that same Padmé
0: Sabe. Yeah. Got it. Rabe. Okay, mon. Yeah. Okay, mon. Yes, exactly.
1: All right. So, we're talking about Sabe because she is a character who over the last couple of years we have gotten a ton of new canon information before from. Uh, you know, up until just a couple of years ago, she was just that one-off character Keira Knightley played in a movie in 1999. <laughs> But now she's become kind of this more important linchpin to the entire story. And that's what this growing new expanded universe is all about when it comes to Star Wars is taking these characters we know and love. And, yeah, sometimes we get new characters, but expanding and giving us viewpoints and opinions from other characters and letting them grow and breathe. And that is what drew me into Star Wars was the 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 breadth and the scale of the universe. And I think, you know, this is really important for that to continue to grow now.
0: Fleshing out these characters, building out the perspectives and making Star Wars more of a place. Yeah,
1: totally. So without further ado, let's jump into Sabe, right? Yeah. So Sabe, uh, born on Naboo, human woman, obviously, uh, didn't have any, you know, uh, augmentation surgeries or anything <laughs> to change her from like a Toydarian to a human woman, you know. I see that you see uh, a lot of that on Naboo. It, probably not on Naboo, but in the galaxy, hey man, bounty hunters can do it all the time.
0: That's true, but I just, I'm saying I think is all farm fresh human.
1: I think he <laughs> So born on Napoo, to human parents, to a family of musicians, halaskeet players. In fact, the seven-string halaskeet. Seven strings, wow, classic instrument.
0: See, that's the nerdy stuff I get into. I know it's great. Right it's, up there with the balacord. Compa- yeah, right? I was just say, what is that compared to a balacord? Right? <laughs> I don't even know. Balacord sounds like it's a string instrument, right? I think it is. Yeah. When I saw halaskeet players in your write up, I was like, oh, what sports that? <laughs> <laughs> I and think that's I- fair i could see that that's that's understandable but she's a musician and it's 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 a liar like it's a it's a necked string instrument
1: but the thing about it is even though she is 13 wrapping up almost 14 wrapping up her studies at this prestigious music academy she's attending uh you know she doesn't really want to go into a career of music she's very competent at it she's very good but you know she's not the best she wouldn't mm. be the number one star of the orchestra and that's what she wants she wants that recognition she wants to be the best and
0: she's got a lot of silver and bronze in her trophy case not a lot of gold yeah
1: exactly and she's she's vastly talented at a lot of different things but doesn't know where she wants her life to go because she doesn't believe music isn't is it you know mm-hmm. there's got to be something more out there uh so as she's in her room at the at the music academy, kind of towards the end of her stay, getting ready to decide, will she take an apprenticeship? Will she go into an orchestra? Will she change fields completely? You know what will she do? And all of a sudden, this uh, this man, uh, Captain Panaka, comes <laughs> knocking at her door, and Captain Panaka asks her, you know, have you been following the local elections? And she, like any you know member, good citizen of Naboo, has been. Of course, she's. Involved in the politics and she follows candidates and, you know, this is the first year she'll be able to vote. So, of course, she's, you know, keeping an eye on what's happening. And Panaka goes, well, good. I I think I have a job for you. It would be dangerous. It would be a lot of really hard work and there wouldn't be a lot of glory in it. But it's of extreme importance. Hmm. And. She kind of says, oh, you know, I I think I'd like to take that. But, you know, she's a little hesitant and she's, you know, not exactly sure. And after Panaka leaves, she goes and she looks up the pictures of the different candidates. And when she comes across Amidala, she kind of, you know, recognizes herself there. And she's amazed at how much they look alike. And in that moment, she thinks she has an idea of what Panaka has in mind. Because why else would she, you know, why else would she be the one chosen? She's not. She's a musician. She's not a security officer. So if not for her looks, most certainly not for her skill as a musician, what else could it possibly be? So she thinks she knows what Panaka has in mind. And after that moment, she makes the decision that she's going to go with him the next, you know, she's going to take his offer. She's going to take him up on it. Right. And, you know, if, if the election goes the way that he thinks it's going to. And as at, at that moment, she basically goes and she throws away the invitation she has to join different orchestras uh, throughout Naboo and all that because she doesn't want to go off-world and she knows she can't be number one on Naboo where it's so competitive for musicians. So but she, she takes this f- path. But
0: she could be the first choice for
1: handmaidens. So she could, she could be, and she is. So because of this, Sabe becomes our Sabin becomes our first handmaiden. Now
0: regis right, because Sabin's her actual name. Sabin is... is
1: her birth name. Now, right. I did go back and double check. Mm-hmm. And there is no mention of a last name for her, which is interesting because all of the other handmaidens, we will come to learn their sort of birth first and last names.
0: Huh. Okay. But
1: for Sabin, I did a double check. I uh, searched the book. um, you know, I I, I double checked everything and yes, and no Wikipedia
0: luck. didn't have anything on it either. Yeah,
1: nothing. So, uh just as a heads up there, I don't believe that information is out there, but if it is, um you know, hey. Prove well, uh, prove me wrong. I'd love to be I'd love to learn that.
0: And we should mention because one of the the most fascinating things I saw about all this is the this book gets into a little bit of the actual functional politics of Naboo and sort of what cuz the the weird thing about Naboo is they It reminds me more of like a parliamentary system. You're voting for a platform and then that platform has their like quote unquote candidate. Like the candidate represents a pool of political ideals, not a person because all of their candidates don't run under their own names
1: yes they keep it anonymous and the reason they keep it anonymous is so not only can they be protected I mean it's tradition that's I think the biggest thing to the Naboo right is that it's tradition and they're very big in that um, mm-hmm. but you know it, it's to keep the candidates safe it's to keep their families safe and it's also most importantly I think so they can return to a normal life and have a career and uh, well a livelihood. not be dogged by it yeah. the rest of their life exactly exactly and I find that incredibly interesting, the thought that went into this political system and, mm-hmm. you know, the fact that they've been able to achieve this idealic
0: existence is really, really cool. Yeah, because, what is it, Padme Nabarine, I think is her last y- name? Yeah. I think it's Padme yeah. Nabarine becomes... Yeah. Amadala. Yeah. And Amadala is the. And
1: that's the pseudonym she runs under, essentially. Right. And what's cool about that is, as, you know, her mains evolve with her, her role with it changes as well. And we'll talk about that more as we go. But yeah. let's get to Sabe's first interaction in the palace. So okay. basically, Sabe is brought in after Amadala wins the election. And, you know, the, the idea of mains is pitched to Padme. And uh, Panaka goes, Hey, I've been scouting different people and I found this girl and i think she's the best and padme looks you know at the information and talks it over with him and she goes well okay and this is her internal monologue of Mm. i uh you know I, i don't i think his security measures are overdone i don't think we need to worry this much but i want to make sure he feels comfortable and i respect his opinion so she agrees that okay well if we're gonna have you know a handmaiden then they should be bodyguards and Mm. we should have multiple of them so they can provide distraction. And so it becomes this whole big process, but Panaka had only approached the one girl. He had his candidate. So for a couple of weeks, Sabe is the only handmaiden with Padme before the others join them. And so what ends up happening is Sabe is brought into the palace. She's brought into the, I can't remember if it's the throne room or not, but she's brought into one of the royal assembly rooms where, you know, political discussions are happening and uh, Padme, or, sorry, Amidala is there. Okay. And basically the meeting's over. CO Bibble leaves and anyone else who was there. <laughs> and uh, basically Padme or Amidala goes to Sabe. Uh, you know, we can't talk here. You know, let's let's go somewhere else because she's basically being watched by the guards. And the thing about it is Padme wants these hand to be her security force. She knows that Panaka is trying to get them to basically enforce his will of the queen's security and she wants them to be loyal to her and not him. Well, and this isn't a in a duplicitous way. This isn't in a like a
0: Well no no she she you know she so Panaka's trying to get a security force that is loyal to especially Panaka's view of Nabu. Yes. We're protecting the Queen. Yes. But the Queen wants them to protect Padme. They yes. want she wants she wants it to be a crew of friends and trusted advisors that she can count on that aren't, that are for her that, and and again, not in a selfish way, but like serve the person who is the queen, not just the office of the queen.
1: Yes. Yes. And she's using that. Well, ultimately the role, like when you look at, like if you were looking at the job description, the role of a handmaiden first is bodyguard. Right. What, that's how Panaka approaches it. What, Amidala is able to do is to change that, and I should also mention handmaidens. While a tradition on Naboo, had not been used in recent administrations, they were not a thing, and they were brought. It was was dusting off an old. Yes, so dusting. Not unheard of, but odd. Yes, dusting off handmaidens. So not only is Sabé the first handmaiden of Padmé's or Amidala's regime, but. She's the first handmaiden in, in X many years. Yeah, yeah. In, in many uh, administrations. So, very interesting there, too, I think. Yeah. Uh, she's the one to kind of bring the position back, and we'll kind of come full circle of that in a little bit. But what I think is interesting here is that as Padme brings them in, she goes, Well, okay, but if we're going to have a handmaid, like if we're going to have a bodyguard, it makes more sense to have multiple, mm-hmm. right? Because then they can serve different tasks, they can do different things, but right. they can all have the same purpose. And so this is what her and Sabe initially discuss. Basically she takes Sabe to the queen's chambers. She keeps everybody else out and they have this sort of one-on-one personal discussion about, you know, are you ready for this job? Do you think you can do? And immediately it moves beyond kind of an interview and Sabe just starts throwing out all these ideas for how they can improve things that, you know, Panaka has planned and how she can be an asset to the queen and, you Amidala knows kind of right away this person is a fit. Mm -hmm. And so they form sort of this immediate bond. But there's still tension there because also these are 14-year-old-ish girls that we're dealing with here too, right? Right. And any 14-year-old of any uh, gender is going to (laughs) have some angst issues most likely, no matter how uh, evolved the Nibu are beyond interpersonal politics.
0: Yeah, no matter how involved they are, they're still teenagers. That's right. Exactly. (laughs) So... As Panaka begins
1: to bring in other handmaidens for Sabe and uh, Amidala to work with, they also get the idea that Padme should be her own handmaiden. She should be her own personality. Because when you have four, five, six, seven handmaidens, no one's keeping track of all of them at every time. No one is like, oh, why isn't Padme here when the queen is here? Right, They right. have a way for Padme to also sort of go incognito, and that's one of the other ideas where a decoy comes from.
0: Right, and they also are wearing the kind of uniform clothes, veil kind of looking thing, so it's not that hard to... Mm-hmm. Yeah, swap, it, swap and they, out,
1: and there, and this book covers. I'm telling you, if you love handmaids, this is the book for you because <laughs> it talks about how they go about choosing their different names, and it talks about the different styles of clothes and what they represent, and also, um, you know, how they are used tactically as well, which I find really interesting. Uh, they talk about them, you know, how they're used to conceal identities, like when they wear outfits with hoods versus without hoods, mm-hmm. things like that. And so there's a ton of great detail here, but as our handmaidens sort of begin to gel into one unit um you know the the queen's camp well campaign's over her administration gets into full swing you know they're hosting dinners with other political representatives padme's biggest thing is she wants to open the planet back up because while she is the queen of naboo she also is the queen of other planets in the sector too she represents the them yeah so she wants to open up trade between other planets, mm. uh, and that hasn't been a thing. The last regime kind of kept Naboo closed off, right? and so right. she's trying to open it back up, and she wants to host summits with other planets, and so her early part of her uh, uh, time as queen is spent with her wanting to open Naboo up and become this hub uh, of interplanetary working and cooperation, which you know fits right. her character perfectly, Share of Naboo
0: course. with the world, and the world can share with Naboo. Exactly, yeah. right.
1: And so uh, a couple... Well, it's more than a couple weeks. I can't remember how far in, but Sabe has to do her first trip as the decoy, as the queen. And it's uh, a day when uh, Padme is in bed uh, with her period, and she just needs the day off, basically. Gotcha. And so Sabe is forced to... Don the the head of the queen to become a medalla, yeah, and so basically it's just her kind of waving in a motorcade. It's her first experience as the queen, mm-hmm. and you know she comes back and feedback is great, and she did a fantastic job.
0: And no one knew.
1: And no one knew. Now there is a another incident later on where, well, actually, you know what? I'm skipping ahead too much. Give me okay. a, give me a second on that. Let me be, refer back to my notes because I'm skipping ahead too no, much. No, it's
0: it's it's, it's kind of interesting because um, I have not read this book like you have, I um, but I I did read chunks of uh, the pre- Queen's Shadow. Yes, Queen's
1: yeah. Shadow was the one that came
0: out a couple years ago, and that's at the end em- end of her administration, yes. and you see how bonded they are and all that kind of stuff. How so. much
1: of a cohesive unit they are, absolutely. That's a great novel too. We'll talk about that a little bit in the at the end maybe here too because there's okay. a few bits in there with some Sabe as well. So, okay. So we have this first act of Sabe donning the queen's uh the queen's head. And as this novel goes on, there are all these moments where the girls are struggling, you know, they're uh handmaidens who have some um strong emotions toward each other, both positive and negative. And so, you know, there's some Interpersonal conflict among the group. Uh, Sabe, uh, Padme at one point is worried that Sabe is uh, falling in love with someone Mm. and that, you know, she might be pulled away from the group and may not long, you know, no longer be uh, dutiful to the queen and to the organization. And so, you know, there's there's some interpersonal conflict there. Yeah. And Sabe is, you know, just trying to figure out who she is. Right. But ultimately, throughout the entire thing, she is loyal to the queen And at one point, even has to serve as the queen in a political discussion, has to um, act as the queen and make make decisions as the queen. Now, a couple interesting things. The Handmaidens develop this entire system of keywords and phrases and things that they Mm -hmm. use. uh, And it's really awesome because they go back and kind of change the way we might look at a few things from other star wars properties as well which is interesting so i don't want to give away a spoiler there but uh definitely worth looking
0: at okay i already know what you're talking about of like when you're in like the the naboo thing and the queen's like i'm not sure sure we should leave naboo and then she like looks around to her handmaid and the handmaids are like we are strong oh uh i see what we're doing here we're, we're yeah we're talking to code i get it yeah
1: so there's some really cool stuff uh that comes out of this book that i i highly recommend checking out um and then as we get towards the end of the story mm-hmm. here um basically the whole group comes together and everyone is able to overcome um what we'll call their personal conflicts you know the the things that come up naturally just by spending a ton of time around the same people yeah you know things that wouldn't bother you in small doses but throughout that's the kind of stuff we're talking about here you know just to clarify um it's not like one of them is like let's enslave the nation and one of them's like no we can't do that it's not like that no kind but it's of just say, when
0: you put humans in a box long yeah. enough they <laughs> both will a really come to respect and like each other and also find the nittiest picks to pick at
1: exactly Uh, Now, I'm going to leave out some spoilers for the end of the novel here, Um, but let's just basically say that they all come together and Sabe is basically like, I'm here for you. Uh, We're friends, but I also understand that you're my queen and that I work for you and that uh, I'm loyal to you before anything else and everything else. And what's most important to Sabe here and for her character at this moment is that she means it and she has finally felt like she knows where she needs to be and what she needs to do and what she's meant for Mm -hmm. and something that she is the best at. And she's the best at impersonating the queen and being the hand, the, you know, the head handmaiden for the queen. And that is her role. Her role is to be the number one thing for Padme.
0: Yep. That's great.
1: And it's fantastic. And then canonically for Sabe, the next time we see her is the trade occupation of Naboo. Right. So the first time we see the queen, well, not the first time we see the queen, but once the occupation has started, the first time we see the queen, that is Sabe.
0: I think I think the trigger we're talking about, when they're in the maroon outfits, Yes, at that point, yeah. the it's queen...
1: It's once and, sorry, once gon and Obi-Wan come into the city. That's a good way of putting it, yeah. That's really the way to look at it. Once we see the queen from that point on, pretty much, mm-hmm. it's Sabe almost every time. Until you get to Coruscant. Yeah. And then that's the next
0: time. That's the first time they switch back. Yep. They flip back. And uh, then (laughs) then it flips again and then
1: it flips again. Yeah. And so then I want to talk a little bit about, um, you know, Sabe's what we see in episode one, essentially as Sabe. So we know that we see Sabe on the throne. We know that we see Sabe on the Queen's royal ship, you know, as they're trying to run the trade blockade. Uh, we see Sabe uh, as a handmaiden, of course. But then let's talk about Sabe's kind of biggest moment when she has to be adra- asked to address the Naboo directly, mm-hmm. right? That Sabe there asked to give that speech. Right Now, uh, to avoid a few specific spoilers, I'm not going to talk a lot about that. What I want to talk more about here in the moment okay. is, imagine this, right? Not only are you asked to be a bodyguard for the queen, to put your life on the line, kind of you know, just first glance. Like, that's the number one thing you have to do, let alone all the other responsibilities that come with the job. But now you're at this point where your peaceful, idyllic planet without an army has been under invasion and under blockade. The reigning galactic government doesn't want to do anything about it. And you're a big mid-rim world. Like, you're not a small outer-rim fringe planet either. Like, this is a huge society that is close to the galactic center. And it's a really important world in a lot of ways. Yeah. And so you have this galactic government that doesn't want to do anything about it. So all of a sudden your planet is under occupation from a foreign army. Yep. Which comes out of nowhere. They want to essentially enslave your people. Mm-hmm. And they do enslave your people while they're trying to force the trying to su- su- queen to sign a doctrine that would enslave the people. The planet more than the people
0: economically yes. anyway the, the, the I mean the way they set it up is yes they're rounding up people and putting them in detention camps but it, it the trade Federation isn't written like Nazis they're written as yeah. a trade Federation their whole goal is your production you are great artisans well guess what you sell to us first at a price we dictate at a price we dictate that's yes. that's what we want yes. it's like it's not like they're gonna put them to work in factories and gulags but that's it, very true that
1: but at the same time they are also torturing people
0: too so well, there it's um, but but that's yeah. all in the in to get the oh treaty for, signed. Sure, uh, uh, for uh, okay, sure let me put it this way there's what the trade federation is trying to do yeah and then there's what sidious is asking the trade federation to do which i think are two very different things uh, i think you're right there because i think the fueling the dark side is yeah. not good for business i think uh, that's being asked of them because they're not good at occupying a nation. They don't know how to do that because they're tradesmen and they don't know what to do. So yeah. say this is like, we are torture them. W- what will that do? That will weaken their resolve. Okay. If you say so, boss.
1: <laughs> um. Yeah, oh, boy. There's uh, there's a few things I'm not going to say for
0: spoiler but, purposes. But, I mean, just in yes. general. The, You're I, absolutely I, right. I do want to de-escalate it just a smidge because it's like. This is mostly a really, really ugly political move, rather yeah. than a straight up aggressive style conquering yeah. war. Yeah,
1: the blockade was very much a political move. Well, just and in then general, the, uh, the Chained federation oppression. is not
0: looking to conquer Naboo. Yeah. They want to subject. Yeah. Naboo. yeah. They
1: do want to essentially leave once they have their terms yes. set up. That's the that's the key there. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so you have your planet occupied. Yeah. You have your queen forced out of her home with only a small group of her handmaidens, these two Jedi protectors, and a fa- small detachment of her you know, royal guard. And right. that's it. That's it. And you're forced to leave. And now here you are. Your queen is being so confident and so powerful. She declares this vote of no confidence in the Chancellor of the High Republic. And you're there, and you're experiencing this whole thing. So just Mm -hmm. up to this point, as a 14-year-old, give or take, right, Right. you've experienced and you've had to go through all this. And then your queen comes to you and tells you, hey, we're going back into a war zone, and you need to be dressed as me, so they shoot at you and not me and try to capture you and not me. Remember that
0: whole thing about decoys? Now uh, it's a thing, like a real thing.
1: And not only that, all of that pressure, You've got to go and talk with this species that we've been sort of Alienated neglecting with. and yeah. alienating for generations on this planet, and you've got to convince them to help us. All
0: right. You and got that this all falls pat- to you. I was say, you got this pat in the shoulder. Yeah,
1: but don't <laughs> worry. We've got our code words. Like, like, and that's the thing. And so what happens is Padme writes this whole speech for her and all that. But then in the moment, Mm-hmm. padme standing there to the side of sabe dressed as the queen giving the speech realizes that what the naboo want is truth right what they want is honesty they don't want another political speech and that's where padme takes over and reveals herself as the queen to everyone and but you it,
0: gotta think at some level <laughs> sabe is there going like i had it what do you, i had it <laughs> well
1: or the other side of it sabe thinking i failed oh my God, I was doing such a bad job. No,
0: no, no. I had this. Why are you interrupting me? Do you have no confidence? Voter no confidences are just going around now, huh? They must be. (laughs) They must be. So that's, I mean, yeah, that's it, right?
1: So Sabe is in this moment, like pulled out of her biggest ask yet and just like, oh my God, I messed this up.
0: Right. When in reality, it's just Padme's skills as a politician. She's just reading the room and going like, no, you're not doing anything wrong. Right. And if we were and at the throne room and we were talking to Debu, this would have gone great. Mm-hmm. But the Gungans, they just spit and they just got wiveling like stuff. They they, they don't understand decorum the way we do. They want, yeah. they want the straight information. Exactly.
1: And now Pat, you know, looking at it from both sides because Padme and Sabe are such good friends and all that. Padme could have planned for a situation, right? She was very one-minded in her approach to writing the speech. So what I love about all of this different material we're getting surrounding Sabe is how much they made her and Padme a team together. Right, and that novel really uh, pushes it through. So we know how Episode One ends. Uh, Padme gets captured in the throne room. They assume she's the queen. Sabé comes in dressed as the queen, shoots at them. You know, shouts. I think it's something like, "You know, your occupation is ended." Yeah. and then runs away. Basically, <laughs> that's to... not the queen. That's the queen.
0: <laughs> this one's a decoy after her. But what you don't know is the decoy is actually not the decoy. It's the decoy.
1: <laughs> oh my God! Triple decoy. <laughs> <laughs> You don't get that very often. So Sabe's heroic act there in the palace where she's essentially saying, hey, chase me, shoot at me. Uh, come kill me. Yeah. Uh, basically is what th- turns the tide in the favor. Gives the queen them the opportunity. And, yeah. To, yep. They're able to take over the throne room. So her actions, basically what I'm getting at her, her actions are incredibly important and also under-recognized. Uh, but somewhat by design. I mean, yes, that was the nature of her character. So it's so nice to have this now. And obviously we know that it's great to have um, any new character or any character from the past, you know, kind of bolstered with more information. Mm -hmm. But this is my favorite, right? Like, don't get me wrong. I'm going to love a new Luke Skywalker book as much as the next guy. But I love when we get characters like this and we just make them so much more filling because that makes the movies that much better, too. Mm-hmm. right all right so after the queen's reign now basically from the time of victory celebration on naboo at the end of episode one to the beginning of episode two you know in that period a few years later padme's reign as queen ends and basically right. from that time to the end of her reign as queen we don't really know a lot about what happened. okay but there is another another novel that uh Partially stars Sabé, although this one is more about Padmé than uh, uh, you know than uh, than Queen's Peril is. But Sabé is a main character of the book Queen's Shadow, and this one. Um well, spoilers for as well, I guess is worth saying, right? Yeah. But this one takes place at the end of Padme's reign as queen, at the end of Amidala's run, and it starts out with the uh, the 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 handmaidens at a lake house on Naboo, you know, mm-hmm. discussing where they'll go from here, what future they'll have, and as they're kind of all planning about the lives they're gonna have, um, Palpatine calls, mm-hmm. and says, "Hey, we need a new senator. Would you be interested?" And he brings Padme into the galactic fray as a senator. Mm -hmm. Now, Sabe is the handmaiden who says, oh, man, okay, I'm with you. Like, if you're doing this, I'm coming with you. I'm staying. Right. And... Padme goes, no, you need to pursue your passion. You need to, like, go after your dreams now. Like, you've done your work. You've served your country. You've served in my shadow. It's time for you to come out from that. Yeah, and and Sabi basically goes, no. Like, you still have work to do, and I'm going to be a part of that. And Padme basically goes, okay, well, if that's the case, then I want you to do what was important to me. Because if you're not going to listen to me and do what was important to you, you can help me by pursuing what I wanted to do. And what Padme sends her to do is to free slaves on Tatooine. Hmm. So Padme's plan for after she finished being queen before she got drawn into the Galactic Senate was essentially to try and go around the galaxy and end slavery. That was going to be her mission. Her goal. Yeah. And that didn't happen, but she sent Sabe to do it. And they learned a lot. They learned that like money wasn't going to be enough. Like Just taking money
0: wasn't gonna work. You couldn't just buy all the slaves because the yeah. their system of life is yeah. based on it.
1: And she's like, even when we sent people with money, that didn't mean they wanted to sell them to us. Like they didn't just like some outsiders coming in with a pile of cash and offering Disrupting. them money. Yeah. Like so it Sabe goes on this really interesting adventure and we get a little bit of it in Queen Shadow, but I would love to learn more about her character from that time. And what's crazy is Sabe is even sent specifically after by Padme. Hey, look for Shmi Skywalker. Like, we're trying to find her. We're trying to get her free. And Sabe obviously isn't able to find her, as we learned from episode two. But um, it's a really interesting plot line that Hmm. is only like a very small subplot of that book. And I would love to get maybe a small comic run or something that went into that, you know, four issues of her time on Tatooine or something. Um, however, that's a book maybe I should reread because I haven't read that one again since it came out. Well, especially after you're just getting off of the new yeah, one. Yeah, the, the prequel to the prequel of the novel that was a prequel. <laughs> um, uh, so, at the end of Queen Shadow, because there's a little bit more with Sabe and Queen Shadow, she spends some time on Coruscant, kind of in the shadows, uh, gathering information for Padme and stuff like that. Um, but the, it, it's not as much Sabe story in that one. So, you know, we're not going to talk about it as much. Uh, but what I do want to talk about briefly is the end of the Queen's Shadow novel. Okay. Uh, so some spoilers here. So the end of the novel is basically takes place at um, Padme's funeral. And Sabe is there in attendance with all of the other surviving handmaidens and, you know, Panaka and everyone else. Mm -hmm. and she basically, the book provides a little bit of extra dialogue at that funeral, and it's basically Sabe saying, I'm going to find out what happened to my friend. Mm -hmm. Like, what they're telling me doesn't make sense. Like, none of this adds up. I'm going to find out what happened to my friend. And about 20 years later, we get a little bit more of Sabe's story. Now, I have not actually personally read these yet, so I am working off of a description. Um, The reason I haven't personally read them is I just like to wait for them to have a larger amount out before I read them, but the Star Wars comic run, uh, for those of you who don't know, um, the main Star Wars line just rebooted again at issue one, and it starts right after the Battle of Hoth. Just like the previous Star Wars line started right after the Battle of Yavin. And in this run of comics, Sabe actually comes back. She is in them. She has been basically trying to discover what has happened to Padme. Yeah. And she ends up in interaction with Darth Vader. Vader. And basically, I mean, Vader chokes her, you know, he almost kills her. But basically, Vader says the name Padme because of how much they look alike when he sees her. It's a real Batman versus Superman situation. Well, it makes sense
0: because Sabe was a identity decoy for them and so Sabe still looks right. quite a bit like
1: especially after not seeing your wife for 20 years in person either that's, that's the other too. side. I mean, a long time to go for some well, mechanical I think, eyes. I also
0: say know? I don't think we're talking about Natalie Portman versus Keira Knightley in our world where they, they do look a different enough. I think in Star Wars, Sabine yeah. keeps looking like Padme as yeah. she grows up. That's a,
1: that's a really good point, too, I think. To, very good clarification, Mac. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, I don't want to give away too many spoilers for this either because I don't think it's necessary to set the context. Mm-hmm. But basically... Sabe reveals to Vader that she uncovered some locked holo recordings from Padme's apartment, but she wasn't able to decrypt them. Right. And she hid them out on Naboo, and her and Vader set off to kind of try and uncover the past of what happened to Padme together. Gotcha. That's all that has been, because we're only a couple issues in. So
0: this is right. still
1: a developing story. So, this is a developing so,
0: character. Right. And so we're probably going to eventually see when... We're going to see how Sabe meets her end eventually. Probably, because yeah. it's one of those things of, like, yeah, because she's going to find out who did it, who caused her death. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if we have a hollow recording from Mustafar to see the act, but, like, yeah. we're going to see that, like, oh, or, that Anakin guy, he really screwed up. Now, we're not a podcast that generally speculates. And then Vader would just be there, like, yeah, that Anakin guy, he's screwed up. <laughs> Hate hanging out with that guy. I All right, so all I'm going to say... <laughs> All I'm going to say is this. Always in future the motion Always, always in the future shows. the motion is. That's yeah, exactly the right. Always in future is. Nailed yes. it.
1: Um <laughs> I I think we might truly finally get a canonical update of why Padme died. I think that's what they're building towards here. Broken either. heart. I I think I think they're going to do some retconning. I think they I think that's where it's headed. I really do. I don't want to To, alarm anyone, but I really think why bring Sabe back in the comics? Why do this whole we're going to uncover the truth plot if it isn't going to end in something we haven't
0: seen before? Have you learned nothing from my begrudging acceptance of the comics? Because it sells a comic book. That's all it needs to do. It doesn't have have to be good.
1: I understand why you felt that way about the run at the beginning. I think in the last couple of years, I don't think that's necessarily true. That's I think they're fine. Telling we can some... agree to disagree. Well, sure, yeah.
0: But like, there's a lot of silliness in those comic books that are interesting, and they don't have to make sense because they're not meant to make sense. They're meant to make you buy a comic book every month, and that's a fine way to run a business. I'm not smirching that. There are plenty of episodes of Clone <laughs> Wars Rebels that are just kind of silly, and they're fine because they were interesting that week when they were aired. It's yeah. fine. They, I don't yeah. remember them because I don't have to because they're not load bearing if you want to put it that load bearing is a good way to put it I think. so we'll, we'll find out but it's 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 interesting we we've been talking a, as we're uh breaking a little bit of op- open here wow episode one can be loved again like there's been oh, for man. the first time really since the disney acquisition in the last year or two mm-hmm. like queen shadow queen's peril Master uh, and apprentice, and even the the even the action figures are, are starting to produce episode finally, one. Content. You finally, finally, yes. Like it, it seems that like the cloud episode one. Now maybe it's because of Last Jedi, and we ha- and and the fandom has a new no- new one to hate. <laughs> I don't know, or oh, or, or Rise of Skywalker for that matter. But like it definitely seems like the cloud has lifted a bit around episode one, and we can not only talk about it, but celebrate it again. Ever since the twentieth anniversary. In 2019, it just seems like, like oh, that wasn't just for that. It's like, no, episode one had some really great stuff. Mm-hmm. And Sabi is one of that part of that.
1: I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. Mac, what a great day to have an episode one discussion. I don't have anything else to say about Sabe. So you right. ready to move on to our next topic? Let's go do it.
0: So we talked about Sabine in the last segment, and we talked about one of her formative things was giving the speech, the first, like, what would you call it? Peace accord? Like, the, the first discussion yeah. with the Gungans and whoever yeah. knows how long. The, the Gungan Naboo Summit. Yeah, they wanted to bridge the gap, and they're yeah. at this holy space of the Gungans, yeah. and... Uh, Sabi so is giving that speech, and then Padme says, like, actually pushes her out of the way. <laughs> what she meant to say was. Uh, and, you know, she gets kind of sidelined. But this is all talking to the Gungans, the other diazins of the yeah, planet Naboo. The, the actual locals, because
1: Naboo, the Naboo, are settlers They're of the colonists. planet. They're colonists. Yeah. Imperialistic colon. <laughs> mm. They're, they're nice. It's okay. We like I guess. them, I guess. They've but it wasn't always enough. peaceful. But that's the thing. The, the Gungans, while they can live both above and below water, they have chosen to build their cities you know, below water to avoid the Naboo. They have essentially receded into the sea mm-hmm. um, to be able to avoid them. And this is where we first really meet the Gungans as a species because yes, Jar Jar is the first Gungan we meet. But when we go to Otagunga, the underwater Gungan city that we see in episode one, Mm -hmm. that's where we truly see the majesty that is this civilization. Right. And they are unbelievable in their (laughs) craftsmanship. So like, you know, this whole time spent like, Oh, the Naboo are such beautiful artists. And then we get underwater and we see,
0: Something that's beautiful chandeliers underwater ha- just, that are cities.
1: Yes, hauntingly beautiful. I mean, mixed with the John Williams score and the sound effects that take place here, but it's just unbelievable as our characters are uh, you know, if you can't remember, this is Gwy-Gon, Obi-Wan, and Jar Jar swimming underwater yep. to the Gungan City, and we see this sort of gold and blue and um translucent city kind of coming up over the horizon. And as they swim to it, you know, you see the there are people moving around inside of it. And all of the walls of the city are sort of built out of this um, sort of clear mucusy membrane that you can kind of like step through. Yeah. I'm not sure if it's shields or if it's just a material or it's pretty. Something that keeps water out. Yes, it does. That's for sure. Now, my question is, when you step through that, does it dry you?
0: Because no, none no. of our characters look soaking wet. I, okay, I'll agree with you, they don't look soaking wet, but they definitely don't look 100% dry either. They don't look dry, but there's like
1: no water dripping onto the floor.
0: Yeah, they're, they're, I, I feel it's like when you, uh, when you walk into the grocery store during the middle of winter and yeah. they blow you with that hot air and you feel warmer, but you didn't yeah. actually get to the same temperature as when you get yeah. into the building. It's, yeah. it's some sort of like halfway point. You know, my brother-in-law makes those things that blow the hot air on you when you walk into a grocery store. No. Not an interesting little fact. Well, on that same token, I think about, it like, the beach. Like, if you go, there's a lot of beaches that have the dryer machines. Yeah. Or you see this at amusement parks a lot. Like, if you go in the log jammer and you get wet, you know, you go to this drying <laughs> chamber. And, yeah. like, they blow on you. And then you're still not 100% dry but you're less damp than you started. That's right. I like to think they're just squeezing the water out. They're like
1: wringing you out as much as you can as you step through that. But you're, you're still going to be damp. jello. Yeah. yeah, you're
0: still going to be damp. Oh, maybe they're
1: not covered in water anymore. They're covered in whatever the mucus is. Oh, it's is. like a membrane holding the
0: water to them. Yeah, the, Gross. the membranes completely hydrophobic and then you come through and you still got some of it on you. Oh, well, that's so funny. Hey, let's 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 back pedal just one second of like I think this is important. We're talking about how beautiful the uh Odagunga is cuz it is. And I think one of the most important things that is problematic about the Gungans is, Mm -hmm. like so many sci-fi stories, we get to see one Gungan up close, personal, for a long period of time. And our assumption is, well, all Gungans must be like him. And it's like, no, he's a delinquent from his society. He's called a fool. He's, he's, um, you know, maligned because he's clumsy. So he's not a complete outcast, but he is definitely not mainline civilization, right? Yes. And we see competent Gungans like Captain Tarf- Tarpa and stuff like that, and even to a lesser degree because he's a weirdo, but Boss Nass is, <laughs> is also like, we get the impression this is a very high functioning society that's at least at the level of sophistication as Naboo, maybe in different directions they're not yeah. as their technology is much more not primitive in the technological sense, but it's much more built to... We, we built the city. Well, oh, cool. What other cool things are you working on? We got our job done. We we don't really need to advance our technologies anymore. We, we're we happy with what we have. We don't need to constantly be seeking what's over the next hill. We have an equilibrium with our environment. Yeah, they we're very feel happy.
1: Like, I mean, I think the way I hear what you're saying is they're also an evolved society. Yes, That's, exactly. I mean, they're, they, the Naboo and the Gungan... Are all kind of. They're at peace, they're evolved, they're. Um, I think the best way to put it is they, you, they are very utopian. similar cultural.s Yeah, they they both create what seems like a utopia for their citizens, right? But they are not really welcoming of welcoming of outsiders. They're closed off. And That's kind of what we see from both. Those are the similarities,
0: right? And was we learned in uh, you know the Queen's Shadow book, like the has gone through many phases of that yeah. being shielded from their their bigger society right yeah, exactly um so it's it's microcosms of stuff because we see advanced okay we we've got the city that's obviously advanced to create these terrariums underwater yes, absolutely but we also find out like the bongo which is completely their tech which is a very advanced submersible way mm-hmm. more advanced than anything we would ever have on mm-hmm. earth because it can go through a planet core <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: and we know that that is very hardcore tech and not like in any way a natural things it's filled with wires and you know all that kind well, of stuff that... too and a steering wheel so we know it's not like an animal they've retrofitted or something and we know that has shields because all the windows are actually shield plates yeah, yeah, yeah. that's right because they just disappear when they get out of
0: water yeah for yeah. sure and so like i said we've we they're an advanced species, but they're uh, they're also interesting in Star Wars because they're all they were the first CG only race. You know, oh, yeah. The first one that like we're like, well, eh, we can't put a dude in a suit and make it work. We're going to go the whole route of we're going to make these these. Uh, let, let's discuss them a little bit like these weirdly tall with these eye stocks on the top. These yeah. large, flappy, thin ears yeah. coming off the back of their heads.
1: According to Ultimate Star Wars, they're about two meters tall. So like six and a half feet. Yeah. Yeah. So a little bit taller than your kind of average person, I would say. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I guess average human male.
0: Yeah. You're average human at, is like
1: yeah, 10, yeah, So a little bit taller than that. Uh, um, you know, they're not particularly heavy, about 150, 160 pounds or so, So, uh, also from Ultimate Star Wars. So, you know, they're not particularly large in any one way, but they have some odd proportions, right? First up, they also have many different colors of skin tone that they can have. They're not kind of a uniform color or even right. design. In fact, there are two sort of different prime species of Gungan, the, also from Ultimate Star Wars, the Ankura and the Otola. Oh, and uh, you know you've kind of seen them. Some are more like the long wispy look, and some have more of like the bigger round look.
0: Well, yeah, you've got you've got. Characters like Captain Tarpa, who's very, very lanky, has a very, like, tall basketball player, kind of, like, long swinging arms and just a very yeah. stretched out tall yeah. look. And then you've got Boss Nass, who's a much more <laughs> squished frog-like look.
1: That's exactly what we're talking about. And just to clarify, uh, the Ancura are the Boss Nass look. Okay. And the Odhola are the Jar Jar, Captain Tarpaul's look. Cool. Okay. Now... As we uh, let's let's talk a little bit here before we go on to sort of future stories and more that we learn about the Naboo. We learn about their city structure. We learn a little bit about the way they rule and the way they kind of hold court and all that uh, we see here in episode one. Let's talk about what we see from their battle of Naboo from the weapons that they use.
0: And all that kind of stuff. Because yes, one of the main points of friction, it seems, between the debu and the Gungans is the Gungans have not given up their, their war. Like, they're not actively conquerors or aggressors, but they believe in a strong defense and they have standing armies and soldiers and weapon systems. Yeah. Yes, absolutely.
1: Um, what's interesting, though, is the Gungans are ready to go to battle. Mm-hmm. And they're
0: prepared so they had weapons for something well i get the idea that um and we see this in in um how should i put this in nobler parts of our world right so take like the swiss guard that guard the vatican they're a standing army they are all trained in weapons no one is trying to invade the vatican and the vatican's not trying to invade anyone else those those Fully trained, fully prepared, fully equipped military personnel are never going to be asked to do a military action ever, right? It's, at that point, it's a tradition. It is a, we find that we can harness our people to do great work if we stick to these traditions of being ready for war but never wanting to fight one. That by having, you know, a military um, hierarchy, we can gain a semblance of, you know rigidity and uh, uh, order throughout our society. We find that by having the weapons, we are prepared for war, even if we never want to have it. We are glad that we are like as we find out in the trade blockade. It's good they stockpiled all those weapons because we needed them. And yeah. it's it's I think an idyllic again I, everything we talk about in Abu is idyllic, but I feel it's the idyllic commentation on militaries aren't the reason we have war. It is the want to abuse that. Like, you know, you could have a civilization with weapons and it doesn't have to be a corrupt, evil, violent civilization. It is how we use those and the way that we do that is is how we kind of give them a morality. So the Gungans are not evil because they have a war. I don't think they were planning to invade Naboo no, when the time no, was no, right. No, 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 no. But they have these weapons because their ancestors had them because they needed them when the Naboo first came and there was conflict amongst the yeah. gungan people themselves the gungans and the naboo and sure maybe it's been centuries since then but there's a vigilance that they're keeping
1: now most of our knowledge for those weapons does come from legends so i'm going to yeah. try and clarify some of what we do have so uh we hear jar jar in the movie say uh you know well tarpal says to jar jar use of the boomer <laughs> and jar jar goes "Misa no have a boomer I, i'm this is off the top of my head so I hope i'm quoting jar jar and tarpal's Perfectly. um <laughs> So, and he goes, Here, you saw this one. And he throws him one, and Jar Jar bumbles it. And, you know, so we know that that thing is called a Boomer. Yes. In the film, right? uh And it even says, I think, Big Boomer later on, too, right? um Now, according to Wikipedia, this one's interesting. The bubble wart projector is what they call that shield thing. The shield systems. But I'm trying to figure out where that comes from because i've never heard that one before
0: well okay star wars clone
1: wars chapter 22 oh hold on clone wars not the
0: clone wars so that is not canon so here's the thing about it it's going to be almost impossible to kind of separate and discuss some of this because guess what the gungans haven't been revisited in canon much (laughs) not a ton no no there's a little bit of smattering through clone wars which let's also be honest clone wars was for the most part ushered in they weren't being when Clone Wars was being written they were very aware of legends and were in many places uh, you know moving around legends or letting legends breathe without interrupting it Uh, unless you're Mandalorians and they completely interrupted it but in general like the Gungans, we've we been talking, that the exciting thing, the reason we're doing this is because episode one is back in the news. We're we're talking about, we're building stories, we're discussing yeah. that era again. And so it's not surprising we haven't been back to the Gungans. So we have things like, they called a lot of their weapons, like when the Buma, the 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 marbly kind of thing is attached to a stick, they called it like a Sesta and stuff like that. Like, that's all not really canon anymore, but there's also no canon answer for that either. We We don't have a current under disney episode one you know visual dictionary that's completely laid out with all of this information for ourselves (laughs) so um just for the sake of discussion you know we have a number of different weapons they have like i said the club-like one where it's a stick with one of these embedded in it we have big containers larger versions of these these bombs that we carry on these things that are carried by an animal that have like you know they could be dropped out in fact they end up that's exactly what happens. They end up accidentally using it as a ramp, and they just start rolling yeah. out,
1: rolling down the hill, dragging
0: Jar Jar behind. And they are they are not for funsies. They are for mm-hmm. real. I mean, they take out the ATT like just blast a chunk out of it. Like yeah. it's pretty ridiculously powerful for yeah.
1: what is they a do cute seem big blue to be marble. specifically like electric, like weapons that are meant to deal with electrical.
0: They like, seem to be anti-technological. Y- yeah, yeah, yeah. They they seem designed specifically for that, which well, is interesting. And we see that, if nothing else, of, like, we've seen all the shield technologies that, like, the Gungans bring to bear are very... You can pass through it, but energy can't. Mm-hmm. You know, because you you had the... What did you call The bubble wart? <laughs> the bubble wart projector, yeah. Okay, so the big army-scale shield generators, y- you have them repelling both the, you know... Uh, the laser weapons fires of the battle droids and also the traditional, like um slug thrower weapons of the ATA, the, the tanks they're shooting, like, you know, canister shot at it and it's getting stopped. But we also see later that the battle droids can sort of like shoulder in and push through and come through. So, you know, it's, it's interesting how their technology developed. It is, it is. I, the gungans are interesting and i do hope we get more
1: of them let's talk about an instance where we actually do get more gungans okay and that is in the clone wars one of the few places now there are three kind of key gungans we learn about in the clone wars the first is peppy bow now do you remember
0: peppy do a barrel roll what what did you just say do a barrel roll you just said peppy and i'm like i don't remember a gungan named peppy do you remember peppy do a bear roll. The one from Star Fox? It's not him? It's someone oh, else? Oh, God. Okay. No, I... <laughs> okay, anyway. Whoa, that no, went way I over know. my head. Sorry.
1: No, I didn't... I... Star Fox references won't land here. This will not... Uh... We won't be doing Star Fox All In anytime soon, at least with me.
0: Maybe if you have another co-host. Well, again, Nintendo All In is is part of the great All In franchises someday, but it could th- th- happen. I'm I'm really derailing the conversation. Who is <laughs> Peppy
1: Bow? Ba- <laughs> yeah, yeah. Who's that? So uh, Peppy Bow is an instrumental gungan in helping uh, contain the Blue Shadow Virus.
0: Ah, the blue shadow uh, virus.
1: So the blue shadow virus is a uh, is part of a story that takes place over a couple of episodes in the Clone Wars, and mm-hmm. we're not going to go into episodes. Yeah, it's but, probably been a decade since I watched that. Um, I've watched it a little more recently, but Peppy Bao is a Gungan who essentially assists Anakin and Padme, and Jar Jar, I think, if I remember correctly, in stopping this uh, virus from escaping uh, that this mad scientist on Naboo has created. Right. Then they're, uh, from another episode where they're together, uh, there's a Gungan named Rish Lu mm-hmm. and another Gungan named Boss Leone. So Boss Nass' uh, successor. Mm-hmm. Now, Boss Leone and Rish Lu are essentially um, on the Gungan council together. Remember when we see when Jar Jar is kind of... Meeting with Gon and Obi Wan with Boss Nass, that sort of council of Gungans. Yeah, Oda Gunga has like this council chamber of yeah, a handful yeah. of. Yeah, exactly. Generally boss like. <laughs> same same deal here so basically boss leone is head of this uh you know of the gungans and rish lu is one of the advisors on that council mm-hmm. now rish lu is working for the trade federation he's a sorcerer and he essentially puts sort of like a hex on boss leone so he's willing to um go to war with the naboo essentially that's what they're right. trying to have happen and so a couple of gungans who we get to see uh You know, but this is all wartime stuff. I would really love to see some sort of normal day-to-day
0: Gungan stories. Right. Yeah, because I like their political system is hard to follow. There's a council, and they're called bosses, and it makes me go, "Are they organized like a union? Like, (laughs) you know what I mean? I like like that. Yeah, the Union of Gungan. Yeah, it's it's we don't know exactly that. And the other thing, Buma Builders United, is Oda Gunga the only place they live? I don't think we know. Because in like the Naboo, we have feed and we're implied there are other other city states that feed's the capital. Yes. But like, how small is this planet that they've got? Like, <laughs> oh, the Naboo's got like seven cities. Otagunga's one. Yeah. Like, what is this? Like the size of like a U.S. state? Like, how small is this planet? <laughs> uh That I don't know. Offhand, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. there's a there's a certain level of of mystery to like you said the day to day mechanics, mm-hmm. which admittedly. Star Wars is an action-adventure story. It's hard to find time or places in the canon where it makes sense to, let me stop you here, and let me just explain yeah. the politics. Yeah. Hey, I get it, but I want more of it, nonetheless. We're going to have that Permacrete episode everywhere. I know how
1: excited you are to talk about I it. I love talking about the minutiae of that galaxy. Uh-huh. And that's what makes Star Wars so great, and that's why we like to go all in on it. Uh, are you ready to fly on over to another topic?
0: I think we've said everything about the Gungans. I also want to say the Gungans never did anything wrong. People who <laughs> hate them, by proxy of Jar Jar Binks, like, just go look at it. It's They're a very interesting species and yeah. very unique amongst stars. Tarples is a hero. We Dude.
1: didn't talk about uh, all of Tarples' story, but the man is a hero. We're going to have to do him in a
0: future episode. We will do him, yeah. All right, but until then, let's get out of this planet and get to space. Woo! All right, let's get into space. Now, our whole episode today has been Naboo themed, so we're going to talk about the Naboos. As far as I know, (sighs) on screen only, it's my Starfighter
1: favorite time. Mm. We're finally here, Mac. We're finally
0: talking about the N1. I'm so excited. So again, I'm so excited. I think we can safely say that this is their only one, since I'm pretty sure the N stands for Naboo. So this is the Naboo one, Starfighter, a product of the Theed Palace Space Vessel Engineering Corps. Oh, I, you know, I did. So here's the
1: fun thing about this. Yeah. While I don't. While I love the N1, and it is maybe my favorite starfighter in all of Star Wars, I'm willing to say that now up front, yeah. I know very little about ships. Ships are not my forte. That's okay. So, Matt, you're you. leading this one. I'm just going to geek out about it. Sound good? Sounds good. Perfect.
0: So, um, the big thing to talk about with this that's interesting is we've got the N1, and the N1, I should also mention, is one of the first things we started to see about Episode 1. It was one of the early kind of th- uh, bones they threw us. And the reason, I think, was because, as far as I know, it was an early design concept. It's based on a, I believe, a Italian-designed like 1930s speedboat is the mm. thing that they... So, George Lucas, when he came in for episode one in the mid-90s and got his team together to start figuring it out... One of the big design languages, according to uh Doug Chang, who uh spoke during celebration about designing episode one, was they wanted to go earlier. If if Star Wars, as we knew it in the civil, you know, the Galactic Civil War, is World War II icons, right? Bulky, squared off, you know, very form over function kind of things. Then we're going to make the 20s and 30s of Star Wars, which is Art Nouveau and curves and smooth lines and a lot more organic shapes and stuff like that. And the N one is like a perfect microcosm of what they are trying to do, because we have the X-Wings, these hard, brutalist, squared off, you know, like um, kind of what would you call them? Clunky. They got bits and bobs, you know, Star Destroyers are, are covered in stuff. The the the. Uh, Mon Calabari, which are at least organic, still have the, all these weird random warts on them. There's there's a certain level of like brutalism running through all of the original Star Wars designs. Mm-hmm. And the N1 is just this beautiful, sleek, stylish thing. And we're
1: told it's a Starfighter. <gasps> and it's the first time. And you know what's funny about it, thinking about it? It's not really. It's a Royal Security patrol ship. True. It's basically used for like peacekeeping and escorting
0: dignitaries. And I, like, I think more more to your point, that's the whole thing is it's a symbol. Yeah. Like it is a fully functional starfighter as we see at the Battle of Naboo. Yeah, it has it, laser cannons and it has uh
1: are they proton torpedoes? Like it, I said, uh, I'm not an expert. Yes. The um, thing that Anakin is that a proton torpedo. I believe those
0: are proton torpedoes. Um it so the thing that's interesting about the and, and one is it also is kind of weird in the sense of the n1 uses a slightly different set of armaments than we're used to it has the single uh belly mounted um i'm pretty sure there are proton torpedoes but now that i'm thinking about it i'm pretty sure they were blue and blue is usually concussion missiles but what they do on the uh, droid control ship wants me to go to the fact that they're probably actually torpedoes. Yeah. i'll tell you what Vamp amongst yourself about your early memories of it, and I'll go double-check my facts. Yeah, Mac
1: is going to check his notes while he does that, uh, because I am most certainly not the person who will tell you technical things about a ship. But what I can tell you is tell you why I love it so much. So, it's a warm May day in 1999. Young nine-year-old Ross is at at the time what was called Downtown Disney at their uh, nice fancy amc theater about to watch episode one for the first time (laughs) uh wearing my phantom menace um it was a cool shirt it had like nine different pictures of different characters and each one had like a colored background okay uh it was like a primary nice bright primary color so it was a really fun shirt uh i also had a fun pod racer tee but when i came out of that episode one uh the thing i remembered the most was that beautiful n1 starfighter yellow how could a starfighter be yellow mac it's how is so that bright be- and colorful how is that possible they're supposed to be gray or maybe blue based on my toys i'm not sure i thought they were
0: all supposed to be gunmetal isn't that the color of every ship that's it you could that's have blue gunmetal if you were a star f- a tie fighter you could have warm <laughs> gunmetal if you were an x-wing but gunmetal that all was gun metal. that was it well the naboo starfighter was just so
1: sleek and so bright and vibrant, and just the shape and the look of it, and the way the thrusters put out that blue energy as they push and light off, uh, light up and uh, kind of take off, and uh, the way the cockpit slides. We had never seen a cockpit slide like that before on a ship. They had always kind of closed like a, you know, on a hinge, open and closed. This slid on a track, and we had never seen anything about it. R2's in it. How great is that?
0: <laughs> you know? Well, and the interesting thing is you said like the sliding cockpit, which again it reminds me of more like sporty, like aerobatic uh, Uh aircraft rather than what obviously the X wings and Y wings are are referencing, which is you know bombers and fighters of World War II. Um, It's 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 such a sleeker critter. I did find what I needed to find. Mm, So hit me. ironically they have two proton torpedo launchers but only one firing tube so they can basically alternate loading from two sides to launch it from the that tube oh, underneath the belly interesting um and then they have two fire linked uh, blaster cannons on the top side the twin yeah. cannons yeah for sure uh, the thing I would have mentioned that's interesting to me and almost no one else but that's okay uh, is this is an interesting ship because it's shooting evil lasers. Ah, tell us about that. So, in general, in Star Wars, hand weapons are red. They fire red. Blast is red. And when we have blaster or laser cannons, almost unfortunately used interchangeably, um, on Starfighters, it was traditional that orangey red was this color of good guys, the rebellion, and green was the color of the bad guys. And this was mostly for cinematic reasons so it's easier to figure out who's shooting where the lasers are coming from from you know are they coming from the tie fighters or are they coming from the x-wings so this was interesting i remember taking note of it in 99 of like the naboof starfighter shoots green which is the bad guy color which again who's noticing this but me probably not very many people but i think it's interesting because it kind of tips the hat to what is going on underneath of this that <laughs> as we eventually did see The Trade Federation is going to get gutted and ripped apart, and parts of it are going to become the Rebellion. Like, you know, probably, you know, Incoms, who builds the X-Wings, they're working for the Techno Union or the Trade Federation. (laughs) They're aligned with one of them. And when they get completely gutted after the Clone Wars, they're going to sell to the other side. (laughs) I
1: love this headcanon you're giving it because I love, I, I truly think it's, really an interesting thing to think about like well why are these laser blasts different colors things that i never would have thought about when i was a kid that just that wasn't it you know i knew the names of the ships
0: and that was about it well it was just i think it was because i grew up as an art kid and i nerded out about the fact of like the dichotomy of good lightsabers are blue and green and bad lightsabers are red and isn't it weird that the lasers the ships fight with are reversed yeah you know what I mean? That like the good guys shoot green and the bad guys shoot red. I don't know why drawing and doodling star Wars when I was a kid with yeah, Crayola. Yeah. Maybe just think about that kind of yeah, stuff.
1: That makes a lot of sense though.
0: Yeah. And, and like I said, I, I, I'm not going to look it up cause I actually have to watch the movie, but like, I think their proton torpedoes do have blue halos. They on do, them, which is, weird. I can promise you they do. which is yeah. weird. Cause proton torpedoes have normally been shown as orangey red. as, as we saw the one yeah, that blew up the desk. Right. Yeah. 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 That's a, yes. Um, well, a difference
1: in time, a difference in technology and i think we also have to like i mean you said this i'm just going to reiterate but the x wing is a warship yes the n1 is a glorified
0: cloud car uh, yeah in a way I, yeah i mean like when you're, you're right, really it's for escort about it, and
1: for again sim- yeah. symbolism so i mean I- you know that to me that's how i see it it's it's more about the design than the power i mean we see that they don't have weapons powerful enough to even penetrate the droid control ships
0: well cuz they kind of established that the lasers that they're using are are probably just they were for show they've probably fired them in test chambers and made sure they're all safe but like other than maybe doing target operations mm-hmm. just for practice no one, Rick Olay is not going to be running around like massacring things or, or <laughs> taking place in a huge space battle. Yeah. He's trained for this, but he's never actually been probably asked to be in a real firefight.
1: Definitely the weakest part of the Queen's plan when it comes to returning. Like the their plan to take feed really smart. Their plan to have the Gundagan army be a distraction, really smart. And then she's like, so we'll send what few ships we have to hopefully take out the droid control ship. We've got at least, what, eight? Like, maybe it even doesn't. It's funny, but it's it's so true. And hopefully a nine year old's up there to save us. I hope so. He'll try spinning,
0: so let's okay. So okay. we know they spin. They, we are they do positive. We know they have shields. We know they have hyperdrives. Well, the other technology I can feel more confident because I did prep for that is, so we've got uh, twin engines on these guys, and these are, as Anakin puts, like, oh, this is pot racing. They're not too dissimilar. They have that same ring venting that goes down those control rods that give the, uh, the look of that ship such a unique feel, right? It's got these three tips that go off into infinity. Um, and uh, while not too dissimilar, I remember hearing a story about that. On the models, those were extremely dangerous. They had, like, tennis balls on the end because you could actually stab yourself. Because <laughs> uh, the one for the Queen's ship, which also has that same yeah. kind of engine design, I know that those were, like, nine feet long, and they said they were so sharp you could walk into them and not realize it was piercing you until, uh, you know, like, a few inches in. Because they were that honed and that surgically sharp. Oh, my god. So, again... But it's what makes it look like this was just left in a wind tunnel till every hard edge had been just sandblasted off of it. It's such a sweeping, elegant design. Then you have, like you said, the yellow, which makes it pop. It makes it so unique in Star Wars. And then referencing again, this sort of like throwback to like 30s culture, we've got that chroming on the front, this kind of miry finish there, Mm -hmm. which is, again, beautiful, but probably high maintenance. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta wipe the fingerprints off
1: that every time a mechanic touches it.
0: Um, these were also equipped with hyperdrives, because uh-huh. um, we see that at the beginning of episode two, as they mm-hmm. escort the Gotta senators' ships. Yep. Because um, again, we find that either either we expanded the use of the N one, or perhaps after the trade federation thing, we bulked up that fleet because there's at least two of them escorting that ship. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and the other technological thing I'll, I'll mention about him is one thing that's established about Naboo that was very important with everything they talked about, but I remember this being banted around a lot around the ship, is this is artisanry. You know, uh, it is going to be as beautiful when you look at the insides as it is on the outsides. Everything is designed from an aesthetic and from a design dwell kind of principle. Yeah. So there is an ornamentation to these ships that you just will never see in a society that's like, no, no, we need guns, put guns on the boat and send it out. We need to fight a war. You know, there's none of the clunkiness. There's none of the cobbled together jury rigged mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. well, that's how it looks. Cause that's how that part looks. Mm-hmm. Um, there's none of that grime on these ships. They are utterly beautiful in every way. Um, even down to their displays being full color and rounded and uh, the elegant sweep of the joystick and control surfaces like this is a pretty, pretty, pretty ship. Yeah, And it's artisans. So you can kind of see that on their canopies, you've got written on the side the name of the pilot that's using that much like we're used to to dogfighters in our world. You know, when they're assigned, it says, you know, you know, uh, you know captain pete mitchell on the side or whatever except for beyond that this is written in traditional naboo script uh uh, nubian script rather than galactic basic arabish this is written in their home language so i don't know how many people on naboo are formally know how to read that the point of the matter is it's showing again their commitment to tradition and their love of their own culture What an incredible people the Naboo
1: are to be able to make a ship like this. Oh, yeah. You know, to be able to
0: see over its design. And and again, we get to see this in episode two, the senators uh, transport and we see the queen's personal transport. And you just see that design language continue through of just this beautiful sweeping adherence to art. All of these are art objects as much as they are whatever they're supposed to do. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely right absolutely right they all serve a deeper
1: meaning than just design than just simple design
0: so in canon we don't have as much of the n1 running around we see it obviously mm-hmm. in episode 1 at the at the mm-hmm. space battle mm-hmm. of naboo um and realistically in canon it's shown up in the background a few times for instance when yeah. the flotilla comes to exegol in mm-hmm. rise of skywalker there is a naboo starfighter mm-hmm. or two in that yeah. mix the most important place they come back to is in the events of um, around Battlefront Two Operation s- Cinder. Yeah, 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 that's
1: where you would see him again is during Operation Cinder. Uh, Naboo was one of the planets that um, the believed dead Emperor uh was targeting with Operation Cinder, and um, luckily Leia, along with the help of Aiden and uh, um what the heck's his name Cass Snow cast and know what the heck is uh Iden Dell 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 yeah. and Dell um are able to uh prevent Naboo and we uh from falling to Operation Cinder which if you don't know uh is a basically post apocalyptic event planned by the emperor uh in case he were to fail which uh at the battle of Endor obviously he did but he believes that uh his empire failed him uh you know it wasn't his bad plan that got him killed well- or Presumably, it's uh, an
0: extension of the Tarkin Doctrine. It's yeah. showing Imperial might by yeah. going to Imperial strongholds and destroying them for not being strong enough. Yeah, yes, that's exactly what's happening. So it's basically these big
1: satellites that uh, shoot lasers down onto a planet and destabilize it with bad weather.
0: Yes. Um. So. Do we see them in Clone Wars? You know, I was looking through because uh, again, my brain with uh, yeah. canon w- is very different. But as far as I know, no, I don't Not think. Not that I can remember, but we only go back to
1: Naboo very few times in Clone Wars.
0: Yeah, basically, the, I think the only other thing you see is, I think there's an all-chrome one in the Blue Shadow Virus thing that Amidala flies. Oh, I don't remember that. But I it, I don't remember it enough to give yeah. credit to it. Okay, I'll have to watch but that. But I, I would put that the same thing as Exegol. They are still in the universe running around, but I would say Operation Center is the only time outside that battle yeah. we really get to see them be a prominent yeah. thing. Awesome. Let's talk about N1 merchandise.
1: Okay. So we had an N1 Lego, and yes, since did. then we've had a few mini builds. I had that N1 Lego. Uh, I don't, but the next time they do one, even I,
0: I, will, I will be <sighs> buying the next one. I just remember... So I came home from a school trip. This would have been probably early may of 99 and my parents had gone out to like i don't know if it was literally force friday but they had gone out and bought me some star wars merch that's awesome and they're like hey while you were gone on this trip guess what star wars came up and i'm like and as i i think i mentioned during uh previous things Um, basically from like mid 1997 to the, the middle of 99, my parents had me over a barrel. Everything was the ultimatum of, well, do you want to see star Wars? (laughs) Like for like almost two years, I was just completely, that was, yeah. So it was kind of nice for them to kind of acknowledge that like, yeah, you're going to go get to see star Wars later this month. Here's some star Wars stuff. Yeah. And um, I remember getting like, I got like a, a Darth Maul pocket watch that was like in the shape of like the oh pros. those were
1: so cool. And some of mm-hmm. those came in containers that were shaped like lightsabers. Do you remember that? Uh, mine was not. I okay. think mine was
0: loose, but like um, I, re- I vaguely remember what you're talking about. Yeah. And like, so just cool stuff. But then the brain exploding out of the side of my head, I always loved Legos. Yeah. And the fact that they're like, here's Star Wars Legos. I'm like, You can make Legos that are, you can't, (laughs) this isn't, this isn't peanut butter getting in my chocolate. This is like, like telling me that like, you know that peanut butter and chocolate have always been together the whole time. Like they've been having a secret tryst behind your back this whole time. Like, and now you're only learning about this because I just imagine what it must have been like on the early internet to have that announcement and that go through fandom of like, Oh, Hey, Legos are making collector stuff. That's cool. They're going to license stuff. And their first license is star Wars. Cause I remember being a big deal that monopoly had gotten the star Wars license. Cause it's funny how much star Wars was everywhere in merchandise. But how until 99, you didn't realize how many unique ways it was going to expand out. And to be blunt, change these companies forever because Lego is a completely different company thanks to Star Wars because it makes so much money Mm -hmm. and also has so many great relationships with brands in a healthy way because of star Wars. So star Wars. Yeah. um, I remember the first N1 starfighter and it was blocky as snot because it was mostly made of part. They were like, Hey, we're going to make a lot of custom parts for the figures. So, you know, we made our first child Lego, which is Anakin, who is slightly smaller than a normal minifigure. We're going to build his aviator cap and stuff. We're going to make him yellow, which was also unique because eventually we got to more correct flesh tones for licensed stuff. And he's going to sit inside this uh, thing that has a custom R2-D2 Lego. And I was like, oh, that's amazing. That's so cool. And they're like, and we're out of custom stuff. We're going to spend a lot of money on that. So make the N1 out of already existing parts. (laughs) So it was very blocky. It was very, uh, I guess, a good way, ziggurati. Like where there's supposed to be a smooth curve. There's a stair step of squared off Legos. The front of it was dark gray because a chrome Lego is... Not even be able to be imagined at this point. Yeah. You're lucky that the uh, lightsaber is going to have a little chrome on them. <laughs> um, and I just remember that blowing my mind and I fell in love with it with that design. Yeah, yeah. Uh,
1: my love was not from the lego but from the action fleet toy oh that was kind of the touchstone for me cool um i never had the three and three quarter inch version i only had the action fleet Mm -hmm. but something about that ship the pointy edges the sleekness the color uh, i already mentioned but the sliding cockpit sliding cockpits were all big big things for me and i just gravitated towards it and over the years it just became a ship that i really stuck to and really liked and Still to this day, I think it is my favorite ship design in all of Star Wars. I can see that. Right. And it's weird because it's definitely an outlier. I mean, a lot of what we see in episode one is an outlier from the rest of the series, but it it's such a great, interesting design and so different and fresh for Star Wars. Mm-hmm. And they look so great
0: flying against that Black night sky. And... I just think they're fantastic. I want to say one more touchstone personally I have mm. with the N1, which was when episode one came out on VHS. Um, I, I don't know if it was with, I didn't have the DVD. Well, The DVD would come years later. It didn't come out. When it the, didn't No um, Episode
1: two was the first.
0: So uh, I remember my parents had gotten a collector's version uh, and I remember in it was a uh, small art print of this original um painting of the n1 flying in this like like sunsetty pinky orange clouds Uh and that was informative to me because that's when i learned the name doug chang that's when i found out that oh people draw star wars like professionally and like it was one of those things of like i i even had like some art books and i think i knew the name Macquarie by this point but i didn't realize the connective tissue between an artist making this thing i just think that like oh star wars is figured out and then some work from higher guys draw it Right. Like not realizing that the complex design process that went behind all of this. And so it's it's important to me because, again, it's when I started realizing that, hey, you know, I'm getting into movie making. That's when I'm going to choose my profession. But like my art skills and stuff, they they have a place in this world as well. The idea of a concept artist and what that profession looked like. So uh, I still have that art print somewhere around, but it's. um, it was just so great because again it's just this beautiful piece of art that in a weird way was never meant to be seen by anyone like there was a time where we didn't have art books of every movie that came out like that most of the concept art just was used for production and then gone you'd never see it again why would you who cares and it was just uh to me it's it's kind of a twist of of i think episode 1 was the first movie i started realizing like oh there was an iterative design process where they rounded the quarters and figured out what we want yeah, Star Wars to look this like. This doesn't
1: just show up in the movie theater in May. Someone yeah. had to make it.
0: Yeah. George Lucas isn't just like eating a salad and going like, oh, this fork only has three tines. That's kind of weird. Hey, build a ship around this. Like it's it's more complex than that. <laughs>
1: it's not just the anecdote that makes the work happen. Correct. Yeah. Oh, Mac, I had a lot of fun talking about the N one. Do you have anything else to add? No, I think I'm good. All right. I think we can go ahead and send this one home. Sounds good.
0: All right. All right, you can hear the spray of smoke as our ship comes into a landing. The struts are down. We're almost done with this one. Wow,
1: what a great tribute to Episode One, The Phantom Menace, this was. Uh, yeah. I know we both love it. I know it's a big part of our Star Wars fandom. Uh, and I really am happy that we're seeing some more acknowledgement of the characters and the time period. Uh, I'm really and into And getting it.
0: that fleshed out Nubian culture, like understanding a little bit more about Mm-hmm. what their civilization was like mm-hmm. for sure uh
1: i really had a great time reading queen shadow to i'm mm-hmm. sorry queen's peril to prepare for this well you um, like shadow as well queen shadow was great as well <laughs> but queen's peril uh you know if, if you're looking for a star wars story you're a big fan of the prequels i highly highly recommend queen shadow mm. big or well i highly highly recommend that queen's peril sorry boy i'm getting i'm i'm struggling now at the end here it's okay uh queen's peril the new novel out by ek johnson this week um i just want to give you a kind of a little uh kind of a little review here for it as well okay. um just in case you're on the fence about it so uh wrote this up before the episode started just so i could kind of make sure i had my thoughts okay in one place for you uh all right so let's see here so queen's peril Takes you on a journey to Naboo, where we see the first days of Amidala's reign as queen. Mm. We learn about the origins of her handmaidens, and we get to learn and grow with them as they discover their role as the bodyguards to the queen. Throughout the story, we learn that Padme, uh, we learn about Padme and why she wanted to be queen, and we see her beliefs, what her beliefs were, and learn how she interacted with her royal court. Now, in the final third of the book, we get to see how the queen deals with a um. well, essentially a perilous situation. Okay. We get to see how the queen uh, deals with, well, the stress of being queen. Uh, and we even get characters from other areas of Star Wars that we love from that era uh, showing us kind of what some of those characters were up to right before the Trade Federation blockade started on Naboo. If you're a fan of the prequels, you know, if you love episode one like we do, this is a must-read for you for sure. This is one you won't want to miss. So go check it out. Queen's Peril by E. K. Johnson out now from Disney Publishing.
0: Rad, rad. Yeah, no, it's 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 cool, and I think it's also a different perspective on Star Wars uh, from what I read of Queen's Shadow. It was just kind of interesting to like, for lack of a term, see a very a very female perspective on yeah. the galaxy was yeah, really nice. For sure. Um, for sure. <laughs> Uh, so it's it's pretty cool stuff. Uh, all right. Uh, anything else we need to mention? Otherwise,
1: in Star Wars, it was a pretty quiet week. Um, you know, we, we heard uh, that the High Republic stuff has gotten pushed back Correct. to 2021. So unfortunately, we have <laughs> to wait a little bit. the
0: evidence keeps piling up that Star Wars celebration in 2020 yeah. is doomed. Uh, so, but not yet doomed. You know,
1: we've got a four-month delay on the launch of the next era of Star Wars. But four
0: months, all things considered, not too bad. Well, well, we discussed, the other thing is, like, they surely were planning High Republic stuff for 2021, so I think just 2021 is going to be packed. There might
1: be a lot more. I mean, the fact that two books are coming out on the same day, five days into the year, right? and then the next book is coming out a month later, yeah, if we're done by February, like, there's going to be more to come, I'm sure. There, there is. Uh, So it's very exciting. Lots of new good Star Wars content. Um, Mandalorian season two comes out at the end of the year. So still a lot to look forward to, even with the High Republic being pushed back. Um, Thrawn Ascendancy, the first novel of the new Thrawn trilogy, got pushed back up a month after getting pushed back like six months. Yes. So, you know, a couple steps so, forward, back, yeah, yeah, moving the they deck say. chairs here. To... Yeah. So, September 1st, uh, the new Thrawn novel will be out. And I'm looking forward to it because it's going to tell a story that takes place outside of the galaxy. Which is crazy. Which Did you finally go there? I have been clamoring for I was a big proponent of episode seven, eight, and nine being a threat from outside the galaxy. Right. Uh, I'm a big fan, even though this is going to take place in prequel era, uh, of it. I'm excited to see what they do so I'm really looking forward to that so a lot of great Star Wars content coming this year Uh, so keep an eye out and we'll keep talking about it here we'll do more um, sort of themed episodes as we go Mm -hmm. related to other stories I know Mac is itching to do some Mandalorian content so we're going to make
0: that happen too Um, I'm feeling pretty good Mac All right, me too and until next Wednesday I'm Ross I'm Mac and until then may the force be with you This production is not endorsed by any other property and is the sole responsibility of Mac Purvis III, Ross Greco, and those involved in its production. It is meant for entertainment purposes only. Other than content provided by this production's providers, all music, music clips, sound bites, rights are reserved, and their respective owners have not endorsed any aspect of this show. Copyright 2020.